0: Welcome to Cycling New South Wales Heritage Commission's podcast, The History of Our Wonderful Sport. This podcast was produced on the final day of the 2020 Tour de France after we all witnessed an historic and dramatic victory by a 21-year-old Slovenian, Tadej Projica, over another Slovenian champion, Primros Roglič. This podcast is about an Australian connection to the 2020 Tour de France winner. But it's not Projica's 2020 team director Alan Piper. It's a New South Wales connection, one that directly worked on the development of Tade Projica. New South Wales cyclist Tim Guy and Ben Hill both rode with Projica in the 2018 season in the Ljubljana-Gusto-Zoran team. Not only did Tim Guy ride, but he was part of the team management and ownership, and he was also involved in the formation of the team. Here's Tim Guy, back in 2018, talking to Projica after he won the Tour of Lavendier. Can you give us
1: a little bit of a rundown of the last couple of stages of Le and from when you went into the yellow jersey and to the finish and uh, what it was like. Amazing uh, and I, I knew that I can um, hold it in the finish um, but I was,
2: um, I was pretty nervous. Uh, every day there were a lot of things, and at the end it was so good uh, and I'm just happy.
1: It's interesting you say there's a lot of attacks because on the uh, on the ninth stage I'm pretty sure we saw you attack yeah. in the yellow. So I decided to to attack. And I went right. no. And you got another minute or something
2: like that?
0: Guy and Ben Hill's Ljubljana-Gusto-Zoron team came into existence in 2018 when child prodigy Tadej Projica outgrew his club-based continental team as a 17 and 18 year old. Projica was already racing successfully on the UCI circuit in 2017 and his Rog Ljubljana team desperately needed an upgrade to increase the workload for the young Slovenian the following year. Here's Tim talking about the Slovenians in two thousand and nineteen after projecta moved to the World Tours UAE team from his Slovenian based Connie team.
1: Those two are just insane. And Pagacha, like I mean last year the whole the whole team was just they knew he was good, so everything was just revolved around him. The whole program was around today. So and things now. It's difficult for them to figure out what the hell they're doing without today because, like, you're not going to get another one of him. So you've got to actually try and figure out how you manage yourself beyond gacha. Yeah. The no. program accelerates him and gives him a good leg. Like they say, it's his first year in the world tour, and you're like, yeah, all right, it is. But he also... He would have had 70 race days or something last year. Yeah. Like, yeah. I would have done 30. He did, like... He did well over double the amount of days I had. Like, yeah. he had... We had, had lots of races. He did the under-23 stuff as well, as the others... They planned it around to try and keep him in top form for when he hit Slovenia and also when he hit um, Lavernier. So you're like, he... Because he was so good, he dictated the program. Everything was around him. It was just a big workload year, which has set him up
0: for this year to handle even higher workloads. Guy explains for Projica to win the Tour to France at 21, he had to be exposed to high workloads as a young rider. In 2018 Tim Guy's Ljubljana-Gusto-Zoran team not only provided the extra race days, but also the higher level competition with the 18 year old also the leader of the team, which is pretty unique at that level. With our
2: team they, when he rode to Slovenia or even rode to Croatia that first year, the one I was meant to be in but got sick for, we're talking as a six-stage six race, bloody long stages. And like the year before, uh, Nibali had won. So it's this race that's got this high quality. But what happens is Pogacar comes in, in a continental team, and everyone else that goes over, if an Australian wants to go over there and get into one of those races, the hardest way to do it is probably to get a continental team because mm. it's nearly impossible to put an Australian in a Conti team that's in the heart band because they're they're searching all their, their all their talent from their own regions. You kind of have got to be good enough to bypass the Conti and go into the world tour mm. or the pro Conti. But the 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 problem with that is, you jump into pro Conti or world tour, you are going to be the pleb. Like there's no way that you're going to get the opportunities. Whereas Picard comes into the Conti team, he steps straight into Tour of Croatia, and you forget how big that is. That's a HC level race. Same with Slovenia, it's HC. Others got more prestige, but the actual competition is it's it's up there with the best. And he's riding it at um, like you got to remember in 2018 in the Tour of Slovenia he got fourth, but in 2017. Before we came on board, because they're in Slovenia, they still got to start in the Tour of Slovenia. And he ran fifth then in the Tour of Slovenia. Yeah. So that's 2017, he's run fifth, and he's the he's the man. Like, everyone on the team worked for him, yeah. but he's got that freedom to just do whatever the hell he wants. He comes onto the climb, he can put himself in the position and ride it, whereas anyone else that's on the World Tour, you're on the team with, with Nabali, well, if you're lucky enough to be there, which you're not going to be, you're not going to get a start world tour australia in your first year you're not going to even get a start in some like Slovenia no. or croatia you're still starting smaller races starting point ones but um these this is the is the, is the hc so you're doing those i can't hear when canty he went over he won a stage of austria and austria is a point um a point one what well, was then so you've still got this next step up that he's Walson into and you're not you wouldn't even get a start in this bigger race. And if you managed to, you'd be you'd be your job would be to ride him onto the climb and do one hard effort leading into the base and then just get home.
0: In summary then Tade Project's development consisted of in two thousand and seventeen riding UCI categorised races as a seventeen and eighteen year old with his club based Continental team Rog Ljubljana. Then in 2018, he raced a lot more categorised events on the UCI circuit with Tim Guy and Ben Hill's Ljubljana-Gusto-Zoron team, which still had strong ties with the Ljubljana club. Then in 2019, he joined the World Tour with UAE and finished third in the Velta before winning the Tour de France in 2020, again with UAE, which continues to have strong links with the Ljubljana cycle club. Worth noting though that Slovenia itself is more traditionally linked to the Bahrain Merida team with many Slovenian riders and staff linked to that World Tour program. But what about the young Tadej Prodjica? Well it seems the secret to his success was that he remained in a club based development program. A club program consisting of many levels from the youngest juniors right through to World Tour pros. These different development levels allowing Tade to climb to more difficult stress levels as he quickly adapted to the racing. I'm sure many here have heard the story of the senior cycling official complaining to local race organisers after watching a very small Tade Prochica racing behind a group of much larger riders in a Slovenian junior race. The concerned official asking the race organisers to explain why little Tade had to race against much big kids the race organiser explaining that Tade was actually coming round to lap them. Tim Guy explains that Tade Projica is a product of a hometown type club structure, which seems to have fell out of favour in modern times, with many countries opting for an invitational type or segregated elite sports programme, team or squads.
2: Because they have been ducking across Italy on races every second weekend. And so are under fifteens. Yeah. And the thing is they do it fairly well without putting too much when you're young, even if you're smashing it at fifteen, you can't really be the superhero because that same club has got you know, they've already got connections to guys that are in the world tour in the past. So they're not sorta of just like pumping themselves up as being the greatest thing in the world because they've sorta of still got a hierarchy or a pecking order which maybe you can't have, um, like you can be developing, I can say this kid's going to be bloody good, but you're still sort of in your place.
0: One of the main things you kept saying in 2018 was not necessarily just about having good riders, it was... The fact that you had very talented developers that had worked, had good experience at World Tour. Uh, When I say developers, Swannies, managers, all sorts of connections to to people who'd worked on World Tour, and they were involved at this club-level team.
2: It's just the way the Slovenians do it. There's only two clubs. Each of those clubs run a continental-level team. You've already got access at that time. To UCI races in the best, like, their border, Italy is like the, one of the best cycling nations there ever is, you know, and they're right bordering the Lombardy region, like, it's the, it's the real heartland of cycling. They sort of say, everyone sort of says, oh, well, Slovenia, they haven't had much to do with cycling. One of the questions this other guy had was, like, how, how are you able to know the talent, considering, um, Slovenia sort of hasn't, is not a cycling nation here, like, know Italy's a heartland and see these kids smashing races in Italy and being, well, he must be pretty good. They're mm-hmm. sort of saying, you know, how did you figure out this kid had talent? And you're like, knew it from the start because uh, from the start they're racing him against the absolute best.
0: So Slovenia had a good development program and it had a future star coming up through the Ljubljana development program. So what is the actual New South Wales-Australian connection? Well, midway through 2017, the 17- and 18-year-old Tade Projica had already started to outgrow the existing Roj Ljubljana club-based Connie team. And it would require a serious upgrade to give Tade the race program he required in 2018. Enter Tim Guy, Ben Hill and Tomas Polyarmic. Not only did they come with an improved race program and further sponsors, they were also keen to convince the people of Slovenia to invest in the new 2018 team and in Tadej Projica, given the potential for the Greenlands of Slovenia to be recognised as a cycling mecca. Here's an interview with Tim Guy at the end of 2017, talking about how the Tadej Projica 2018 Ljubljana-Gusto-Zoron team came about. enough to catch up with Tim Guy this year he's not just got a ride with a team overseas in Europe but he's actually a co-owner of this team so how did that all come about Tim?
1: Yeah well that's an interesting story. Um, the the manager of this team is uh, Tomasz Polianets and he was a uh, director at Ataki Team Gusto and uh, while I was there and we sort of uh, were chatting to each other and were pretty, pretty keen on trying to uh, I've been over to Slovenia a couple of times and, and really enjoyed watching how they did things and they seem to have a pretty good sort of understanding of development and a few good teams over there. They don't have heaps of money but they've got the know-how and they've got the infrastructure sort of in place so we were thinking if we could uh, bring on an Australian connection and uh, then hopefully encourage a few sponsors to come on board we could from from other countries we could sort of uh, take this, this Slovenian continental team to, to another sort of level and in the end um, the president of the Slovenian senate he was actually pretty keen on the idea but he wanted an Australian sponsor uh, in order to for him to put in some funds and in the end it was really late in the year so hard to find sponsors and um, at the last minute I sort of I'd started up a a business with a mate last year uh, called Headcrack, which is a, a uh, mental health education business. Started off actually just going into high schools and uh, telling uh, my story and his story on our experiences with uh, anxiety and, uh, and depression. And uh, in the end, we sort of rang up the rang up the president of the senate and said, "Look, we've got a mental health company that's willing to get on board. Uh, is that enough to get you uh, to get you going?" And they said, "Yep, if we've got a connection with Australia, that's all we want. Uh, that'll do. We're away." And then they ended up getting sponsors from Slovenia, a Slovenian cryptocurrency sponsor. Then we ended up getting some sponsors from Taiwan as well. So we got the Gusto Bikes came across. They used to sponsor the Taki Team Gusto, a team that both March and I were at, but that folded at the last year. So um, when they, we told them about this team, they came across as well. So that's, how, that's sort of how I ended up... Uh, as a, as a sponsor like I was already going to get a ride on it and then in the end uh, rather than just having a ride I've, uh, I've, yeah, I've got my the head back on the jersey.
0: That's a great story, um, how about a few details on the team you know where you're based and a name and those uh, sponsors?
1: Rightio, so the team is it's called Ljubljana Gusto Zaurom. Now, it's based in Ljubljana, which is the capital city of Slovenia, and they've actually had a cycling team. So it started off called Ljubljana Rogue, so that the city of Ljubljana have sponsored a cycling team since 1949, and that initial other sponsor, um, Rogue, was a, uh, a bike company uh, that manufactured bikes in Yugoslavia for across Yugoslavia, one was uh, the ex-Yugoslavia, back in the in the yeah, it started in the early fifties, well forty nine rather, and carried on. So uh, the team's been around for a long time, and since two thousand and five, it's been a continental cycling team, and they've had since two thousand and five, eight guys go through to the world tour. So it's quite a, a team that's got a fair bit of history and a fair bit of tradition of getting some some good riders through. Uh, so it's pretty exciting to be able to expand on expand on the infrastructure they've got and the knowledge. And then uh, to, to join on with us is, is also, yeah, this Gusto and Zauron, so the bike company and, and the cryptocurrency.
0: Congratulations for pulling this all together because being uh, part of team management, it's an opportunity probably to get Australians involved in a team in Europe.
1: Part of the deal with me going on board as a sponsor was to make sure that from 2019, there were spots for some more Australians. In the first place, there had to be two of us. So it was myself and Ben Hill. Uh, so we both got spots. But then from 2019, there should be um, <clears throat> anywhere up to five, five spots, but at least another additional spot for a young Australian. So that's pretty cool to get over to, to Europe and race the UCI races in Europe. We have a couple of races in Asia, too, because of the sponsor, Gusto, being Taiwanese, but the majority of the races will be uh, will be Europe and, and UCI races throughout there. So to get a couple of other Australians across is pretty cool, and especially cool considering how much I really liked the development that these guys had. They had they have a really good philosophy and uh, have not just produced like, an unbelievable number of top-level cyclists, they've also got, I think, per capita, the number, the most number of uh, people in the World Tour as far as staff is concerned. So they've got a huge number of mechanics and uh, soigneurs as well uh, wandering around uh, in these World Tour teams and across all different ones. Uh, so, yeah, it's a country that sort of loves it cycling, and, and they're, they're good at trying to not just make champions, but make people that love cycling and... Uh, happy to get right in there and be known to be good workers so whether they're riding or going or doing any other work involved with the world tour race
0: the cycling in australia is pushing itself further and further into europe and uh, it's lovely to sit back here and see your involvement Um,
1: yeah it's definitely a bit of a surprise i um i can't say i really imagined oh my, my big big goal was to try and uh, get over there and get myself a spot in a team for next year. So to end up in a position where I've, I've got yeah. it a bit of say and uh, a bit of pull and, and helping the, the team sort of be based on, for me, really important, based on an awareness of sort of well-being and understanding that, you know, there's, with me I've got mental health issues, but um, everyone has to learn to deal with anxiety and to just understand themselves a little bit better. So to be able to bring that into the core sort of message of the, the team and the, the basis of it, um, is is a pretty pretty exciting sort of thing. Something I've wanted to do, but you never sort of thought that it happened. You know, you think, oh, cool, I'll be able to, oh, if I'm if I'm lucky enough, I'll get a spot over there. But this is uh, this is something else. So pretty pretty uh, pretty amazing.
0: And the development is is very good. So it's it's a wonderful thing for Australia.
1: Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty exciting to be part of that's for sure. And we'll just see how uh, how it goes over the next few years. But having that base in Slovenia. And it's just difficult for, to get into a continental team in Europe. is hard enough as it is. Now, for an Australian to go over and get lumped in an Italian team or something as a one out. Like it's a real difficult slog. Uh, so to be able to come over to a team that's already got a bit of an establishment and an Australian connection, a couple of other Australians, but still being immersed in that uh, European culture as well, and having to you know learn to understand uh, how how they how it works over there, and understand other people, but not being totally just thrown in and having no sort of backup. Should be hopefully a really a really cool sort of uh, opportunity for them. So we'll see how it goes in the future. As I said, for next year it's myself and Ben Hill, um, so that's that's uh, going to be pretty cool, regardless. And then we can get a few more Aussies over there in the future years and and use that to sort of try and help develop uh, and just getting a few more people into that continental level in Europe is uh, is got to be a good thing. We've got some some teams in Australia now doing great stuff and coming over to Europe for small stints, but we don't really have anything that's just permanently based in Europe. So um, to have this where there's a team that's permanently based there and you can come over and fully immerse yourself in like the full season in Europe is a pretty cool thing.
0: Well, Tim, good luck with it. Uh, We're going to talk to you through the year. So with you and Ben, and we really do hope that uh, everything works so well and you cement that connection over there in Europe. So, So good luck with it.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Paul We'll see. We'll see how it all goes, and hopefully, if uh, yeah, if some other Australians like what we're doing, we can get another Australian sponsor on board. That should uh, really start to solidify that Australian connection, and we we'll go from there.
0: This podcast will focus on Tim Guy's achievements while battling a debilitating mental disease. However, at this point, we should quickly mention the Ben Hill story, which is an impressive example of a cyclist bouncing back from major setbacks. In 2018, Ben was a huge asset to Tadej Procika's Ljubljana-Gusto-Zoran team. In fact, in the Tour of Slovenia, when Procika faced Primros Rodzlik and his Lotto Jumbo team, it was Ben Hill that pulled on the leader's jersey in Stage 2 of the UCI 2.1 Continental Level event. Given a major objective of pro cycling is to have a presence in a race, Ben Hill is a wonderful acquisition for a team's roster. While Tadej Prochica relaxed in the peloton, waiting for the tougher stages of the 2018 Tour of Slovenia, Ben Hill not only provided a distraction, but he gave the Ljubljana-Gusto-Zoran team a reason to celebrate by taking the leader's jersey. Now, while Ben seems to race with no fear, it's a different case for his teammate Tim Guy, who has been living with anxiety and depression. However, as a junior cyclist, Tim Guy was renowned as an aggressive, confident climber and would represent Australia at the 2007 Junior World Championships at Aguascalientes in Mexico. However, around that time, his outlook started to change. This is part of an interview with Tim at the end of 2017, 10 years after those Junior World Championships. We might just go into your history with the Junior Worlds and just a, a stressful time, but it's also a very exciting time and um, that you would look back on it as, as an opportunity where you really felt that all your dreams were coming true, you know, uh, riding through Europe with a group of guys and, and racing other countries. It was an exciting time, really, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, it definitely was an exciting time. and you do sort of start to hype yourself up a bit. Like, I can remember... Being on the plane and just going, just going into the bathroom on the plane, and seeing that sort of Australia polo that you had on as you're standing in the in their um, in the bathroom, and I was just thinking to myself like that is cool. Like you're heading over to race for Australia, and you do it's it's nearly impossible to get hyped up and to think, geez, this is pretty impressive. I've got the Australia, and it is it's impressive, but um, yeah, I think you can get a bit carried away with it, and and like you say, it's not too hard then to lose your way. <laughs> And
0: the dreams—they seem in touch—that uh, you could reach out and get them when you're doing these junior worlds.
1: Yeah, I think once you're at that stage, you have got these these situations where you're sitting over in Italy, and you know you're sitting in the same in the same sort of AIS base that those pros have been going through a couple of years before. A lot of them still float in there, and you might even see them while you're there. So all of a sudden, you're in the same location as them. You're sitting in the same spots. You're training with them as well sometimes, and you do start to think like, hold on a minute, I'm, I, I must be getting pretty close to actually uh, maybe being able to step into this, and that's really exciting, but also terrifyingly frightening because you don't want to stuff it up. You're like, well, look, looks like I've got this incredible opportunity. I don't want to stuff this up. Like, if I don't get it, I don't know what I'll do. So it's a mix of it's a mix of emotions, and um, it can be. It's difficult because, as a coach, I imagine what you're wanting to do in some ways is inspire your rider, sort of to say to them, "Look, this is what you can possibly be." But then there's there's a it's it's a bit of a touch and go because if you go too far on that issue, you're selling kids a dream that is not necessarily the reality or not quite possible. We always like to look at the best rider out in that field and think maybe one day you could be them rather than maybe one day be the dude that's just battling to be the Lampard Rouge and think that would still be pretty cool
0: well I'm going pretty good here I've made this Australian team I, I now need to prove it I don't want to go out and now look bad and let's say in your case the top five in your junior world road race, which you rode a really good racing, there was Diego Ulysses, Peter Sagan and John Degenkop were in the top five. You finished just behind Tyler Finney and Rafa Micah, but you beat folks like Nelson Olivari, uh, Bob Ridge, Rowan Dennis, Michael Kierkowski, world champion, finished behind you. So all these riders that go over there and it seems some will go on and some will fall out the back. And... I think for the first time suddenly it's about your mental ability to cope.
1: Yeah, I think that, that probably hits a little bit close to home because once I once I came back from being over there, that's def, that's exactly what I was trying to do. You come back and you kinda want to you've been over and had this big experience and you wanna come back and, and sort of live up to it. So even if it's a club race or something, you kinda feel like, the people are watching you, and if you don't go super well, that then they're going to be like, oh, what a minute. Why did this kid go over there? Like, maybe he was no good. So you're desperately trying to sort of prove it. And at the same time, you're then thrown back into sort of starting out. Like, I mean, I still signed for a continental team um, that first round. But in reality, you, were, you just had to make your name again. So you yep. come back to Australia. Now, it's different depending on how good you are. If you were unbelievable... You might sort of fast track through junior worlds, and that's what everyone sort of is hoping to do, to sort of just fast track it through, spend one or two years like the World Tour Academy type thing, and then jump into the pros. Whereas, in for for you know, seventy percent of the guys that are, that make it to that level, that's not the route they take. They've got to come back home, be thrown into the thrown back into being just all of a sudden the youngest kid out of a whole selection of guys. And battling away to try and prove yourself. And for me, like I, I all of a sudden I was getting results that should have been pretty impressive to me. But I felt like because this dream was to go pro, that it wasn't living up to it. I mean, I finished um, 27th in the stage of the Sun Tour, um, straight out of Junior Worlds, and I felt disappointed with it. Like at the time, I was like, you know, I was finished. Two minutes down on Chris Froome, who won won that. Uh, who was um yeah on that stage. It was a pretty
0: handy sun tour when you think Chris Froome was <laughs> going in it.
1: Yeah, well, just, yeah. There was there was quite a few um, pretty good riders, and, and you're thinking you're finishing 27th. You're finishing two two minutes down on them on a, on the 11k summit finish. It's not really that bad, but to me, I was thinking there was other guys that had gone to junior worlds like the year before me, and a couple of them, one of them finished 14th or something. So you're looking there, looking at it, and thinking, well, oh, geez, he hasn't gone on, and here I'm 27th. Maybe I'm just not good enough. And it's just it's a very stressful sort of time trying to say you're trying to live up to this, this goal, but then also try to repeat performances in a whole new level. And some guys, there are a couple which will do it, and I think that's the hard part. You're thinking in order to go forward, you have to be them rather than realising, hold on a second, I'm not this absolute superstar, but uh, maybe if I just am, am patient enough and, and take my time, I can get there. But you almost it's almost impossible to do because you just crack. So for those guys coming back, anyone that does sort of soldier through, like, holy doly, they've got to have a good mental capacity. But well, that's what I like to think. <laughs>
0: yeah, you have a high expectation. But... You also were mentioning there you've come back and you've popped out of the juniors and now you're going in the seniors and you're starting all over again. You went into a continental team, but you were riding then with senior season riders and you suddenly went from someone where you, you, know, you could look at your own goals, but suddenly you've just got team goals then. You're just working for hard-nosed pros who aren't going to just let you do whatever you want to. And that's a big shock, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's definitely a different, a different game when you are trying to figure out, and it all depends what team you get in, because it's nice to think you come back and, and you're learning all these skills and stuff, but there's still a lot of teams in Australia, and uh, when I came back, most of the races I was doing, there wasn't too much thinking about what was going on at all, and that's probably another part to play in me wanting to go forward. You think you're just going to do it on this raw ability rather than actually starting to read the race and understand sort of when's a good time to go and making those opportunities. And you just can't do that when you get into the higher levels, because there are some riders that are really thinking about it. There's others that are just doing the same thing as you, and you can sit there trying to figure out what the hell they're doing for years and never be able to understand it. But there are those smart guys that really got it nailed, and they're also they're looking at these young young people coming through, like myself, and they have got a bit of, look at this young fella. He thinks he knows what's going on, but we'll teach him a lesson. So you've got a bit of that trying to find your plates uh, in the whole scene. And I think that's sort of a normal thing, but it's also quite quite confronting and realising that, oh, hang on a minute, what I used to just do, these guys aren't happy when I do that. They're ripping me apart yeah. and telling me I can't do it.
0: You also had a serious crash leading into the Junior Worlds. Like you're, you turned up in Mexico for the Junior Worlds uh, with your bike just smashed to pieces in a little box. You weren't even starting that road race till virtually, you know, hours before.
1: Yeah, so uh, I think it's important to remember for people listening back there that you were actually there as well. So you were the the coach for the Junior Women's Team at the time. So once I hit the ground in uh, Mexico, uh, you were there to, to watch it all. So I'd had a crash in Italy two weeks out, I think. And uh, was been riding for about three hours and descending down this uh, down this hill, and started to feel. I, I stopped to take a little bit of a photo of this this mural, a cycling mural on the back of a chapel. And the other guys sort of carried on, and I was like, "Yeah, I'll just sort of catch up." And kept riding, and, and sort of felt a bit of a a bit of like a, a rattle, and and bounced the bike. And uh, next thing I knew, I just was waking up on the on the ground with half my face ground off, and the bike was uh, it was broken. In half down the top and down tube, so you could actually hold the front, the for, front forks and handlebars except for the rest of the bike. But then it was also uh, cracked all the way through, twice on the seat tube, and all the way through on both of the rear stays. So, six spots completely <laughs> cracked all the way through, and just landed straight on my face. I spent a little bit of time in hospital, and uh, essentially the next next time I was really riding my bike was was once I hit down in Mexico, and we had to try and find a replacement bike and uh, i got one that was i was riding a, a 56 size frame and i got we managed to find that one was there's 52 mm-hmm. and then before the junior worlds you had to uh, you had to weigh in your bikes and I, the guy in front of me weighed in at seven then i weighed mine at eight was <laughs> six <laughs> and I was, I was, but at the time now this is what, what's what's interesting is at the time you're that sort of hyped up on the idea of going for this dream. You're in a bit of a dream world that you think it doesn't matter. You're like, oh, look, weights don't mean anything. Some people are different. They're very, very analytical of it all. But I was kind of just like, oh, well, no difference. Let's just go. (laughs) But um, definitely wasn't the optimal sort of run it.
0: You do have to push yourself hard. That was a very impressive Junior Worlds team. These guys, sometimes it's not a bad thing to miss that team. <laughs> you know, a lot of the guys come through that don't actually get in the Junior Worlds team. It's...
1: You sit there afterwards, and uh, when I was in my worst sort of patches, you'd wonder whether, whether making Junior Worlds was a good or bad thing, because you're like, there is definitely plenty to say with you missed that team and you've got a lot less stress on you. <laughs> you've got a, you know, if you're still pretty close and you've just missed it, you sort of then can, can build on and sort of aim for it. Whereas if you go over there and have all that hype then come back, it can be quite hard to carry on, especially, it seems, if you have some real super performances. So uh, I, I think I was already a little bit, I was already starting to battle with my mental health issues before going over there and didn't train quite as good as I should have getting uh, getting over there. It was just real stressed, real anxious. And, um, yeah, but to go through with guys like, like Owen and Dennis is, is pretty cool. And you've got to remember in that road race, um, at one point on the, on the second lap, I think it was, he was having some issues with his Aurelia. Yeah. And I just dropped back, thought i try and help him get back on and then realised, like, he just wasn't getting sorted, And it was just... Um, yeah, I wasn't gonna be able to get him back on. So so I got back onto the bunch just and then uh, Rowan finished. Like he would have ridden the next ninety K dollar and he finished like six minutes down on the on the bunch or something ridiculous. Yeah. So he had, like thirty seven K an hour for ninety K just just riding by himself as a first year under nineteen.
0: Lap by lap, here he was time trialing behind it, this massive bunch. <laughs> You know, led by, as I said, Ulysses and Sargon and Dick and Cobb, Taylor Finney, all those fellas, like Raffel Miger. Like, it's a pretty daunting bunch to chase. You know, it's a nice attitude to have and it's one that's made, uh,
1: made him very successful. Yeah, it's definitely an um, interesting sort of thing to observe. And, um, yeah, like, but it's just sometimes it's hard to pick who are the ones that are, that are going to go forward and who are the ones that will crack. And like you said, often it seems that, Uh, the ability to sort of handle it mentally is a massive, massive uh, part of it and I was not able to do it very successfully.
0: We'll not go into the specific details of Tim Guy's mental sickness in this podcast. We'll simply say Tim returned home from Mexico, Worlds and then raced for a continental team, FRF Couriers in Swiss, before losing his way and questioning everything in his life. He spent a lot of time on the lounge and drifting, trying to escape the pain of anxiety. Unable to work out where the pain was coming from, it's safe to say Tim believed cycling to be a part of the cause. So it's something of a risk after a number of years of agony to attempt to ride again to reclaim his life. As you would expect it was slow going but eventually he started an NRS event with the goal just to finish. He could chart the improvement which helped to commit and eventually felt he belonged with a very patient search to retain health.com.au team giving him a ride. The improvement continued and by 2016 he had a continental contract with ADEC Team Gusto. Still battling the illness, his cycling talent was on display when he won a stage of the UCI La Tour de Filipinas, also taking a podium spot in the sprint jersey competition behind Wes Schulzberger. Working well with team director Tomas Pollyannic, he then connected to Slovenia and the Ljubljana teams. 2018 was an amazing year for Tim, working and riding with the Ljubljana-Gusto-Zoran team and Tadej Projcika. However, maybe it was more memorable for his administration role rather than his writing. So in 2019, Tim set his sights on getting a start in a UCI HC event, specifically the Tour of Slovenia. Here's an excited Tim guy in 2019 breaking the news that he'd been named in the Ljubljana Gusto Santic team for the 26th Tour of Slovenia.
2: He's pretty fired up about it, but more so just on the, uh, just the story. He's like, this is cool. He loves the idea that, like, that be um, starting the Tour of Slovenia after, like, you know, 10 years ago. He's like, you know, you had this chance, you could have been something pretty good, and then all these problems with the mental health, and then here you'll get to start, and he's like, no pressure. But, and he's sort of even pushing to try and get, like, uh, get the Slovenian media and stuff to do some things on it. Yeah, so okay. I've got an interview today with, like, a, Online news.
0: So after five years, Tim Guy suddenly realised he was getting somewhere. Now athletes set goals, but often they creep past them as they continually push to climb further up their sports career ladder. For Tim, the 2019 Tour of Slovenia was one of those rare times when you realise you are growing in your chosen sport. And for Tim to realise he was achieving something with his critical eye and cautious outlook ahead of the Tour, well, that was special. Tim's feeling of accomplishment showed the power of a close and strong role model. As Tim had come through the local cycling program behind champion Mark Renshaw, and the opportunity to race with him well, it allowed a real point of reflection. Because
2: even when I first knew about the Tour of Slovenia, it was one that the Dimension data had used for a couple of years in the lead-up to the tour. And then two years ago, I think it was, Mark got third in a stage that finished in Ljubljana in the Pour and Rain, and that was sort of when I was first, uh, finding out that yeah, this would be one that maybe if I'm going good enough with this team that I'd get a start in. So that was pretty cool to watch someone from back home um get this sort of result in the pour and rain, having this crash like four K to go, I think. And Mark was, Mark was sort of he was almost on the front from about from about yeah, a couple of K to go. And ended up um, he 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 got overtaken for second like on the line I think. So it was pretty cool to, to have that um connection with the race. Now I saw him there last year, um, but obviously I wasn't actually um I wasn't actually racing, so that was uh it's cool to sort of be there, but it's nice to nice to think you'll be on the start
0: line. Following him as a role model.
2: Well he was just on his way through. Like he was already I still remember getting on the bus. And listen on the radio. As soon as I got on the bus one day when I was a little little fella, they were talking about Renshaw signing for FDJ when you first signed for them. I like was on the radio on the bus as I got on. And, um, so it was just that bit ahead where you're just trying to chase that, that, what is he, six years older or something, maybe? So he's always just that, um, that bit of age, age gap. So I didn't actually race him in, in Bathurst or anything because he'd sort of, when I was just coming in, he, he was, um, he was already overseas um, and I think I honestly think that racing him like maybe we lined up at the Nationals in the road race once or twice where we both flicked it like that that'd be that'd be um, I think that might be the only time of racing So I don't think he never would have done a club race when I've been when I was there yeah I think that's probably I think this would probably be the first time pretty much first time lined up and it's in Europe so that's pretty cool
0: course all that excitement was going to have consequences for the sometimes fragile Tim Guy. Where most people have nervous butterflies, Tim has elephants. And all that nervous anxiety was going to result in a lot of negative chatter in Tim's head ahead of the Tour of Slovenia. Which to be truthful was well founded as Tim is medicated for his anxiety and depression. And that year a lot of experimentation with dosage resulted in constant cuts to his training workload. In Tim's case, it's not just the specific side effects of the anxiety meds, but the changes in the dosage seriously reduce the amount of conditioning Tim can undertake. Here's part of a talk with Tim before the 2019 Tour of Slovenia. Big thing with this year is the medication. There's been medication changes more than ever this year. Understand how much stress you can do while medication changes. The slightest change in the medication, it's not logical sometimes how it works. And you have to be able to cope with your training stress going up and down. You've had a lot of hold-ups this year. It's because of a, a lot of m- a medication experimentation. Any jiggling in the dosage and things like that just seems to throw everything out again with your the adaption to your training. So that's been the big story this year. You've been patient. You possibly could have already done this S C block before Slovenia, But it just you couldn't fit it in because of these medication changes the whole way along. It makes you sick as well.
2: Well, I wasn't until game. February or something January, end of January until I sort of settled on one, so Yeah. Yeah, that's been <laughs> the back end of I tried three or four different types from getting home last year before.
0: And that's the story coming into Slovenia, that been trying to get your head around working out what drugs work for you um, while trying to maintain some type of conditioning program. (laughs) Tim Guy finished the tour of Slovenia in 105th place, an hour behind the winner, Diego Ulysses, And while he may have performed better in other listed European tours, such as the Crow Race Tour of Croatia and the Tour of Hungary, his performance to finish giving his self-doubts and training interruptions due to the treatment of his anxiety and depression was very impressive. Biggest thing you've done since you got back on the bikes. You've done the biggest thing. It wasn't just about getting through this race but it was about being able to do it on, on different medications. It was about learning to know that you belong there even though everyone in a, in a HC race is going to tell you you don't because everyone wants the position in front of them so they keep knocking you back. And those are the things that you had to contend with while you, know, you weren't mentally really on your game. So it, it's a huge effort.
2: That's a huge achievement. Yeah, and that's, that is the thing that just cracks me. Well, I think just in
1: general, that's the thing with the mental illness. And I think you've hit it right on the head is that you just, it, it's hard to feel like you belong. And when you don't feel like you do, then everything else can crumble around as well with your thinking because you're you're, you're not settled. You're not sort of sitting somewhere where you're f- feeling like, oh, yeah, this is this is my spot. Yeah and um, then you're spending your whole time trying to find a spot and that's more. Well, maybe it's not here, maybe it's there, maybe it's nowhere, maybe like that kind of, that kind of thinking. So it's, it's um, throwing yourself into, into that on a heightened level again.
0: How much pressure's on there? Because everywhere you go, the person behind you says, no, nah, you're not sitting there, you're not, you're not at that level, you're back behind me. And you go back behind them and they say, no, no, you're back behind me said the person. There's not anywhere you've got to fight for every spot. And that's one of the most difficult assignments you could do if you've got a mental disorder. I haven't got the confidence to say, yes, I do belong. It's something you shouldn't be able to do.
2: If, if something's meant to get to me and, 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 and throw you off, then that's the
1: that's the kind of race that'll do it. That's the one that should be just too too much. And <laughs> that's what you notice with Renshaw. Like You would notice with him... He just, you could, you never really saw him because he was always just very, very good position. Yeah. And if he was on a climb, like sometimes by, by sort of the end of the climb, you might sort of meet him. Yeah. And he's just, he's just still coming back from the front.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, which you like, he's, he's very impressive with that. Like just very, very easy too. you watch how he, how he moves around and stuff. And it's just second, it's very second nature. Like you can just sort of like, yep, zip around here. I'll put myself up here and then. And float back for ages before I know I'll be safe over this over this climb and then whereas I I'm, I'm sort of fighting if, if I'm done well I'm forty riders from the back yeah. going to the climb yeah. instead of instead of three riders from the back. Yeah
0: so Tim finished his two thousand Season, achieving his goal of racing and finishing a UCI HC Classification European Tour racing alongside some childhood heroes. Plus a former teammate and a rider that he had invested in Tadej Projica was about to win the world's biggest cycling event the Tour de France. Slovenia was about to become the centre of the cycling universe in 2020 as he predicted. And he had a new UCI Continental contract with a high profile Ljubljana Slovenian pro cycling team. So this podcast is about to come to a happy ending. Sadly, no. Enter COVID-19 to the story. Stranded in Australia due to the pandemic, Tim started teaching at one of the region's high schools at the start of 2020. He also made time to properly investigate his depression and anxiety medications and to consider its limited success in recent times. Out of the cycling bubble, things were not going that well mentally, although he did have great success teaching. He would end up in hospital for more than a month prior to the Tour de France. In an attempt to lose the demons that harassed him, he opted to try TMS therapy. I have to say, to me, four or five weeks of shock treatment to stimulate the brain seemed a bit desperate. But Tim was positive it was just the next step in the treatment of his problems. Now, given Tim Guy's connections to Tato Projica, you would expect he wouldn't have missed a minute of the 2020 Tour de France. But sadly, it wasn't the case. Tim was battling at the time, pretty much in isolation, focusing on his teaching, paying little attention at all to Projica's winning ride. While I'm not sure I should play this interview after the famous time trial performance by Projica, it does explain the seriousness of someone battling with mental issues.
2: Well, Messages and stuff saying like you must be absolutely pumped about the Garcha, mm. and I'm here, not even able to watch the thing. You know, I'm actually not sitting back at home celebrating, saying, "Oh my goodness, I've had a part to play." I don't feel that at all. I feel, I feel just as as lost and isolated um, as um, as I could ever imagine being. Like you sort of sitting here, in, in any sort of positive thought actually actually brings on like a panic attack because you are in a state where you don't experience those emotions that you'd like to because of the mental illness and that really trips you out. So you're here thinking, well, I should be celebrating, I should be feeling amazing um, and then you can beat yourself up wondering if you're this horrible person but you've got to step back and be like, well, no, hang on. Even when there aren't these superstar um, moments, you're, st- you're still sort of trying to learn to figure out how to just put one foot in front of the other and that's the amazing thing to come back and realize well now we're talking about having a connection to a guy that's won the tour and going over there and doing these races and still feeling like you do like it shows just how much of an impact the, the mental illnesses mental illness can have on have on someone and it shows you how desperate people get. It's not just surface worry. It can mean that you're so on the edge and full of panic and fear that even, even amongst some of the, these kind of things that people would dream of, um, as a kid, you can still feel so far from life. At the moment of doing these things, I've been so petrified. But often when I, when I'm going just a little bit better than I am now, I can look back and feel like I don't see the memories um as they were. I don't see them as being these horrible moments. You sort of can look back and get a bit of a a bit of the a more a more realistic view on it. And at the moment that's difficult because I'm sort of real though. Mm. But um that's sort of what you're what you're hanging on for the future is to say you'll be able to look back and go, um, yeah, well yeah, hopefully you've got something better than looking back and thinking you sat on the out for five
0: years. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I predicted that you wouldn't watch it because anxiety can be excitement but it, and it can also be fear and you can't afford to let anxiety take off. Anxiety is both fear and excitement. And so when it comes to if you're on a downer, you, you can't afford to let it go either way. So you you try your best to keep in this neutral state. All you want to do is live a normal life. But the fear has, in some ways, not allowed you to realise that you're living uh, an extraordinary life. And you know, though, now with experience that... um, If you can keep involved and you're certainly not on the lounge now, you're doing other things and again putting pressure on you. You're going to a new level of pressure because you're pushed outside the cycling bubble. But again, you know deep down that at the end of it, when you pop out of this bad spell, which will happen, that. You can look back and have that same feeling that, whoa, I actually was achieving a few things. I couldn't see it at the time because I had to keep in this neutral state. I could not let that anxiety, be it fear or be it elation, I couldn't let that go jump ahead of me because it, 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 it hurts. I didn't just bail. I know that I was living life at the time. I was, I may have been in hospital, but I got out and got back to work. And uh, I know deep down I'll appreciate that further down the track. You you might be living an amazing life, but you won't see it. <laughs> and the other thing is you, you do have to protect yourself from even the excitement of what's happening at the moment because, you know, excitement's anxiety as well,
2: isn't it? Yeah, I think that uh, description probably hit home a little bit a little bit too much, even to think like that's exactly is, is is spot on that any it is that any emotion that that comes along triggers panic, so you've you've said it exactly right, like it can be it could be excitement and it triggers panic, so then you don't have the option to sit here and even realize. That there's some level of excitement going on because it's just too caught up that 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 trigger response for panic is too fast on the button that it is off before you get to realise whether you are excited or depressed or jealous or or any of those things. You you can't you don't actually know which one of them is. So so your mind is Is almost trying to second guess and put on put put down which one it's got to be because well here's this guy winning Tour de France and you're panicking you're feeling not good so maybe that it must be jealousy whereas um, or it must be you know it must just be that uh, that you don't really care about the racing and you'd prefer that uh, prefer that you'd never never touch the bike or whatever's going on in your head and none of them you can't trust any of them. Because there's that many different thoughts rolling around, none of them, um, none of them are accurate. Even the closest one to be in the truth is not the truth because it's so spun out by this um, reaction that you that you get and what you've said there with it. I think it just is is um, well, it hurts a bit. It hurts a bit because you realise, yeah, you have you do have to try and all this time you have just been trying to protect yourself you're trying to mm. put up enough of a barrier around you or enough of just just taking away the emotion as much as possible that you can just roll try to get to a point where you're almost rolling along without um, without any connection to deep in any direction because it will spin you out and um and that's what, that's what people don't understand because the whole way through it, you've got someone saying, well, Tim, you must love racing your bike because here you are overseas. And, you, and it, it just spins you out trying to say to people, uh, well, I don't even bother trying to explain it. Sort of just go on with them because you, it's hard to say. No, no, I don't have that, that feeling. I'm stressing bored the whole time because as soon as you say that, someone then thinks, well, what the hell are you doing it for? Because we've got this idea that's like, uh, you know, this follow your dreams. And if it's not your passion, then uh, then we'll go do what is your passion. And it's difficult to say to someone, hey, hold on, I don't have a passion because I'm so on edge that I can't recognize what I enjoy, what I don't. Um, what I have to do is I have to rely on, on what I know from the past, and I know in the past I love racing my bike. I also have got to a stage to know that the bike's not the problem. So what am I going to do? Well, I can go and you know I can't just I can go and just do anything else. But that's not going to say that's not going to be following um, necessarily what you want to do. You've got to try and think. Well, I'm pretty sure that if I go with these bikes and look back. Uh, in the future, that it's gonna be something that I appreciate, and that's um, and that's what you have to go off rather than this, this love. And you've got plenty of people saying also that you know, well, it must be the best thing for your mental health. You go for a ride, they'll, they'll tell you how amazing riding is for them. And again, it's missing for me that it's missing the point again. It's like, yeah, well, I wish it'd be nice to go for a ride and say, yeah, I'm riding. You know, it's almost as if they're like, oh, yep, you're riding your bike because that makes you feel so much better, and, um, and that's why you're not doing something else. Whereas the truth is, you're like, well, no, riding my bike is almost um, bringing out the worst of those feelings because you've got that anxiety, you've got that 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 um, the hype and the and the lows and everything that immediately trip into a response that is beyond your ability to control and it rushes on you and that is a feeling that all you want to do is get rid of so sitting down to watch something like a tour or whatever is very difficult because that feeling does rush on you and you don't really know why um, so yeah it does make it it makes that whole process very difficult to figure out and in the end you've got to just like you said sort of say, you've got to go Look for opportunities and, and, and take them despite how you're feeling. And then maybe eventually you look back and, and there'll be something that comes of it. Cause even now you're like, well, I'm not feeling good, but in the future, who knows what comes of all of this stuff or where it leads or, um, you know, at the end of the day, all I'm looking for is a little bit of contentment. That's, um, and, and sometimes when there's this huge hype about winning the tour of France and, and seeing, and that sometimes that takes you know, it's almost whipping you taking you too far away from where you need to be, which is actually no hype. Mm-hmm. Less hype, less less um less of this like desire about, you know, going out and being being um, a part of these superstar things. So sometimes we're sort of caught up in the middle of this this stuff. You're like, how the hell did I end up um end up here? I just want to quiet. <laughs> I just want to quiet existence. Um, but yeah, I guess that's what has happened from taking opportunities as they as they sit there. And it's sure surely it's probably better than the alternative of having um, just shrunk right into yourself and sat on the couch. Like it hasn't it doesn't get rid of the rid of those feelings but it's like you can achieve something at the same time uh as having these this and maybe that's uh maybe that's worth what.
0: I'm sure when you started listening to this podcast, you didn't expect it to end with the person connected to Tade Projica's development uninterested and not even following his amazing win in the 2020 Tour de France. It's sad, but as Tim explained, after experiencing life with a mental disease, he now knows that sometime in the future, this will be a great memory without the anxiety pain that he has been experiencing currently. So his secret is to keep looking for opportunities, even while he's on a downer, because history tells him that you can achieve in the tough times. And strangely, those tough times can become wonderful memories if you keep going. So in closing, we have finished this podcast in one of those tough times. COVID-19 has stopped Tim's cycling season in Europe, and mentally he's in a bad spot coming off some serious medical treatment. So is Tim Guy looking for opportunity at the moment back in Australia? Well, of course he is. As part of a sports technology unit at his school, he's organised a talent identification challenge for his students, where the group selects and supports a classmate for some sports testing, including a cycling FTP test. He even got world champion Rowan Dennis to send the students a video message of support. Here's Tim in his current bad patch in July 2020.
2: involved actually in the test. Obviously, they're the most invested and quite interested in doing it. They're getting quite like a few of them a bit nervous and worried if they're actually going to show up on the day just because they're actually kind of like, oh, this is this is getting bigger and bigger and maybe I don't want to be the center of attention for five minutes. And then to get Ron Dennis to do a little video. He also sort of mentioned about how they're nerve-wracking he's like these things are nerve-wracking they're really hard and you're going to suffer for five minutes and he's mm-hmm. like i've never liked doing them he's the best the best <laughs> in the world adam and he'll say well you know what i hate him
0: <laughs> in actual fact he's taken the pressure off a little bit and saying you know it's all right to feel bad now, i'm i'm the current world champion <laughs> so and i hate him <laughs> <laughs> i guess in closing though it's um an amazing way how a season's twist you were supposed to go back overseas and be racing in Slovenia at the moment with your pro team you've ended up stuck in Australia uh, you've ended up doing this at a school it's crazy how the world turns
2: you know well he's not actually meant to be your teacher (laughs) he's meant to be (laughs) he's meant to be on the other side of the world but he can't so he's going to race you guys instead (laughs) just put you on the bike yeah, it's always been about even getting into the racing and then getting new teams and stuff. It's always about being ready for an opportunity to come. It might not be the thing you're, you're expecting or it might not come at the time you're expecting, but I think you've got to sort of just uh, take them.
0: With Tim's Ljubljana-Gusto-Santic team still looking to continue its Aussie connection, it makes a lot of sense that Tim Guy gets some further experience at talent identification. He has watched Tade Projica develop into a Tour de France winner, along with other former Gusto teammates like Joy Henley make their mark on Grand Tours. His current experience at the grassroots level allows him to understand the development of an athlete at all levels. The last word in this podcast going to former world champion time trialer Rowan Dennis, who was very quick to help out Tim Guy in his latest venture at a high school in country New South Wales, Australia, offering support to Tim's students. Rowan is very aware of Tim's juggling act with mental disease and was eager to help. Rowan's involvement proof of peer support in the cycling community among the riders, which is a nice thought and something to brag about given the increased chances of pro athletes suffering with mental issues.
1: Hey guys, my name is Rowan Dennis, I'm the current world time trial champion in the league's professional ranks told me that you've got a five minute max test coming up soon and I just want to wish you all a bit of good luck I'm not gonna lie you're probably gonna really really suffer I even suffer every time I never enjoyed them. it's nerve-wracking it's it's hard but it's something you got to do to try find your absolute limit on a day so listen it's gonna be fun try find your limit on a day enjoy it while it lasts and try rope him into doing it as well
0: You've been listening to Cycling New South Wales Heritage Commission's podcast. Thanks to Dried Arrangement for the music in this story. This is Heritage Commission Chairman Mark Windsor saying thanks for listening.